0: Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to the show. I'm Richard Bliss, your host, and this, as you have already probably figured out, is the last episode of Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. You know, we started the show... 11 years ago, just a couple of weeks ago. We're coming up on our eighth anniversary. And in that time, so much has changed in the crowdfunding and Kickstarter space. So much has changed in my life, I assume so much has changed in your life. We have been together for more than 330 episodes, hundreds of hours of time together, years spent getting to know each other. And what's interesting is many of you I've gotten to know over the years, you've gotten married, you've had children, you've started businesses, your lives have moved on and progressed, and I have been able to be a part of it, to be in your ear and kind of just sharing that story with you. So many of you have reached out to me over the years and told me about the impact that this show and my guests have had on your life. And I got to tell you that that's incredibly satisfying to me. It's one of the things I wanted to do when I started the show. Now, things have changed in my life as well. I'm in a very different position than I was eight years ago. Uh, things have dramatically changed. Those of you who have listened are aware of some of it, um, some of those changes. And I'll talk about it here on the, on the show today. But it has been... Well worth the experience. But all things have to kind of come to an end at some point. I've been thinking about for quite a while how to keep the show going, to bring in another host to uh, to contribute. But I have to tell you that one of the things that uh, made me decide that it was time to quit was because when I started, there was so little information about crowdfunding and Kickstarter at the time, particularly in uh, the board game space, which is so many of my guests and you listeners are part of. Back then... In 2011, to give you an idea, there were 102 successful board game Kickstarter projects successfully funded on Kickstarter in 2011. $2 million total was raised. And I think the number one project that year was D-Day Dice, which raised a little over $100,000, which was crazy. Everybody thought, wow, the bubble's about to burst. And I had many of you tell me the bubble was about to burst. And uh, Aldo Ghiazzi, who's not going to be on the show, who's been on the show many times, he and I had arguments over and over again about that bubble bursting and about the impact that Kickstarter would have. I stood in front of an audience in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, a few years ago, many years ago, uh, and said, look, Kickstarter is going to transform the the board game industry unlike anything before. Tom Vassell took exception with that because he said the internet had done that. And he is absolutely right. Outside the internet, Kickstarter has been probably the single most transformational piece of, not technology, but new thing to come into the space. Because you have a job or a hobby now that is well-funded. You have an entire ecosystem, we do, an entire ecosystem of people who have been on my show, whether it's in comics, right, with Tyler, with comics, whether it's in video, film, Education, whatever it might be. John Covey, who's been on the show many times, who's actually launched a game company, had children, and built a business and done acquisitions because he has been able to figure out how to to market his product and company to a very specific science games. Jamie Stegmeier, who started off um, several years ago, and then has become on the come on the show as a co-host for a long time. Who's now become a very powerful force in the industry. Something I'm very proud of have having been able to watch that from the beginning. And I've had so many of you as guests come on that I have learned and been changed and modified. Now, how well is the podcast? Am I, am I ending it because it's failing? And I'm going to say no. I'm ending it because I'm failing. And that failure is because I'm just running out of the ability continue to keep ahead of this. There's so much good content out there. There's so many people who are putting out great content, blogs and podcasts and videos. and And I just came away uh, one of the last episodes here with Brian Hank over at Protospiel, where hundreds of people are showing up to be successful. And the, these events are all driven by this money that has flown in that has flowed into the board game space because of Kickstarter. So many of you had your lives changed. So many of you have uh, witnessed things differently. Let me tell you some of the things when I talk about the failure. There's not really an agenda. You're going to listen to me here for the next 20 minutes or so, and we're just going to kind of go back and forth here talking about thoughts that are in my head. The show was not failing. Uh, It had slowed down, though, because I had slowed down. And one of the things that it slowed down with is that the episodes were not as regular as they had been in the past. And this was my fault. Just from a sheer time, I started a new business. I got married in April. I started a new business in April. I um, have gone through a lot of things that just didn't make it possible. So here's, let me show you a couple of stats. The podcast has had over 660,000 total downloads, as according to my hosting company, Buzzsprout. 660,000. We were approaching a quarter of a million. Another couple of months, and we would have hit a quarter of a million. On average, with 300 episodes and 330 episodes or so and 660,000 listens, that's about averaging 2,000 listens an episode. Now, the, the research I have done online says that a podcast on average gets about 141 downloads per episode for average. A good one has over, I think, 2,000 episode downloads. And I was averaging around 2,000, but it was probably closer to 1,400 up until April, let's say May of, the, of 2019, I was getting about, on average, about 1,400 to 2,000, 1,500 to 2,000 downloads per episode, which is a pretty good number. It's not the best, but it puts you up there significantly higher than just your average shows. And at 300 episodes, 330 episodes in eight years, it is a long-running podcast. We've had a lot of success with it. Yeah, there was that dark period in the middle and dark both <laughs> I was going through a divorce, selling my house, all kinds of things. So yeah, that was uh, dark. And then we also didn't put out any episodes for about a year. But even when I didn't put out episodes for a year, I still got 100 listens a day. Every day. Seven days a week, 100 people listened to the episode podcast. And that kind of kept me going, And which is what brought me back. And so up until about April, May... Uh, I, was, I was averaging about fourteen to 1,500 downloads per episode. I use Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout, um, I'm grandfathered in. It cost me about $9 a month to host the episodes. Uh, guess what? I'm just going to keep paying that. That's $100 a year. You're gonna, I'm just going to keep it up so that there's, the episodes don't go away. But the show, that was the show. I 20 minutes, the episodes are 20 minutes long for a very, very clear reason. I don't have the time and you don't have the time. To listen to a lot of content that goes over 20 minutes. It's about the average commute. Unless you're in the Bay Area where I live, then it's a fraction of your commute. Then you can listen to three episodes in one commute. But it also was the, um, I think I've shared this in the past, but what I did is when I got ready to do this, two things influenced me. One is I watched Jon Stewart on The Daily Show. And I used a stopwatch to find out how much time was he actually on camera talking. And it was about 18 minutes. And I thought, if Jon Stewart can get a a monologue, a, a skit, and a book review guest in 18 minutes, I could probably do something in 20. And the other one was uh, an, another podcast called um, Writing Excuses with Howard Taylor, Brandon Sanderson. And they their episodes are 15 minutes. And I think their tagline is because you're not, you're really busy and we aren't that smart, something like that. Anyway, those two things influenced me and said, okay, I'm going to do 20 minutes. And I've been pretty religious about keeping it to 20 minutes. And so the episode format, as you know, has been uh, bringing on a guest. On the show, I've been able to hone my uh, skills. But also, I brought on people who I found fascinating and interesting, which I think made it interesting for you, that the people I brought on, you found interesting because I found them interesting. Uh, because there was something interesting about them. I also learned that you can almost pull any story of interest out of anybody, no matter how mundane it might be. Now, that doesn't mean I haven't had terrible guests, but I'd like to think that they all had something to contribute. I've had some famous people, Seth Good... uh Seth Godin is probably one of the most famous in my space, in the marketing space, where he was launching his book on Kickstarter. And it was really interesting to have him on the show at the time and have somebody who's so successful as him, an international bestseller, hundreds of books, and yet be uncertain about this thing called crowdfunding and Kickstarter. And that's also been fun, is to be able to educate people about how the conversation about money can change and how we can have a conversation in a way that we haven't had before. Because money... Is taboo in our society. It's not something we talk about. If I need money I'm not going to tell you if I have a lot of money I'm probably not it would be crass for me to tell you um, but money is not something that we traditionally would walk up to somebody and say hey could you give me 20 bucks? Yes, I know I'm dressed in a suit and I drive a nice car but could you give me 20 bucks And yet crowdfunding came along and allowed us to have that conversation. hey I'm making this game, this personal passion project over here and I'd like you to you know make a donation, a contribution. And so that's been that transformation. So the podcast has been doing well. But as I slowed down in May, after I got married, and I started a new consulting practice, my new wife and some other contacts, clients that I have, some people I know that are very I respect, they, they pulled me aside and said, Richard, what you do is so unique and valuable. Don't go work for another company. Actually, come do it for yourself. And so that's what I did in April. And I thought, my wife and I said, okay, let's give this about two years. Well, it's been about four or five months and things are going crazy. Now, business is good. And I realized that I this new project, something had to be sacrificed in my life and I could not keep this show going at the quality level that I wanted to keep it going. Now, I've got some fun stories. So that's that's one of the reasons that it's ending is that it was time. The contributions that have been made by so many people in the in the environment out there now. You have the blogs and the and the videos and the podcasts and the books now that we have books out there. Uh, Salvador Brigman, one of my last guests on the show, who was just the previous guest, you know, he's got books and podcasts and videos. And he was one of the very first people that I saw who kind of followed up along it. Jamie Stegmeier, what he's done over the years and the contribution that he's made. There's so much good content. And then late James Matthew, a friend that I made through the show, That I'm very grateful for as he uh, was prematurely taken from us and I get to look back on the friendship I had with him sharing a hotel room with him um, going to a convention that JT Smith invited me to in uh, where was I I was in Madison JT I was in Madison I was also in Grand Rapids Michigan being at Grand Con. these were type of events getting to go to Gen Con and walk the halls and video record people, not knowing what Kickstarter was. I mean, these are some fun things and I'm interested to know what some of your favorite episodes were because some of the, if I look at the stats, anything that had to do with business using Kickstarter to do business did phenomenally well, thousands and thousands of downloads on those episodes. And it used to be just like my first episodes were always the most popular episode, you know, one through ten, because people would start over. But no, as time went on, they became more pe- popular. And all obviously the uh, anything that Jamie Stegmaier is associated with does very very well, including my podcast. And so that did uh, did very well. In addition to that, I've had some guests on, recurring guests. One of my favorite who's always on and is always a good friend is Aldo Giazzi. Aldo would have been on this episode with me just because he's been with me so long. But Aldo's on a cruise somewhere in the Mediterranean with his wife. And wow, wouldn't that be nice, actually? That would be nice. But that's what Aldo's up to. And so there, there you go. The, The show has had a lot of fun. I have friends. I was at an event a couple of years ago. And I ran into an old friend. I hadn't seen him for years. And I walked up to him, and uh, his name is Jerry. And Jerry uh, shook my hand, and we hadn't seen each other, and we were talking. And suddenly, his friend standing next to him turns to him and says, uh, who's this? And Jerry says, oh, this is my friend Richard Bliss. And oh, my gosh, you would have thought that one of the Beatles walked in the room because uh, his friend went all fanboy that, oh, my gosh, Jerry, how come you didn't tell me you knew Richard Bliss? And Jerry, Jerry who's not actually really a gamer, uh, he is now, but at the time he really wasn't. And he doesn't listen to my podcast. He's like, well, why would I tell you? I know Richard Bliss. Who's Richard. I mean, Jerry knows me. And that was kind of a fun experience for me. Another fun experience that I've had with origins, uh, a couple of my friends, uh, Albert and Robert talked me into going to the world, to the world championships for Star Trek attack wing at origins several years ago, four years ago, 2015. I was, I'd just gone through a divorce. I was living in an apartment. I was living with my daughter, one of my daughters. And I was like, okay, I'll go. Uh, okay. We kind of red eye. We all three slept in a hotel room. I mean, it was just kind of that uh, old college vibe. Well, as we go <laughs> to the show floor, people are coming up to me. And I have to admit, this was kind of my first time of this, shaking my hand, wanting a picture. Oh my gosh, I get to meet Richard Bliss. And uh, my buddies, Robert and Albert, they're like, who are these people? I'm like, I don't I don't know. I said, this happens kind of all the time because they were fans of the show. And it was fascinating to hear the stories, to hear the stories of how my show and my guests changed people's lives and that they were there and that it was possible for them to be doing what they were doing because they were able to listen. And I think even Brian Hank, who uh, two episodes ago, as he and I were talking at ProtoSpiel, talked about that, that he admitted that it was my podcast that helped him learn so much. And I, I, I... I am humbled by that. I'm humbled by the fact that something that I did out of my passion just to, to help, to be interesting and help, has had such an impact. And I'll tell you why I started the podcast. Well, you know, one is I wanted to, to give back, but I also was in my own period of transition. My, I had just lost my job, a very high-profile job. Uh, the company fired me and gave my job to my wife. Awkward. All right. And it's not now my ex-wife uh, very well possibly could have contributed to uh, the divorce. And I suddenly was and I had just moved to a new city. I was living in a new town. I didn't know anybody. I just lost my job. I can't really go work for anybody else in the industry because my wife kind of working at this company and I can't like go to a competitor. It was very awkward. And so I started to look around and realized that I needed to reinvent myself. Well, how do you reinvent yourself? Well, one way is you learn new skills. And one of the skills I wanted to learn was podcasting because I listened to a couple of podcasts, and the one I really listened to and the one who taught me everything I knew was Chris Kirkman, uh, State of Games, the State of the Games. And Chris uh, created my logo, Funding the Dream logo. Chris taught me things and and I would call him up and I would talk to him. And then I had to find something to talk about because I wanted to learn how to podcast. And so board games was difficult because while I like board games, Tom Bassel says I never play them. I do, Tom. I do play them. I know when I go to trade shows, I don't because I usually am working and talking to people. But I didn't really feel confident having the qualifying chops to talk about board games but what i did know and i do know is tech and trends and that's what i'm in the business of tech and trends and i saw this thing kickstarter and i saw the impact it was having on the board game industry and i thought this is something i can talk about which is why i started the kickstarter about kickstarter because not a whole lot of people knew about it i saw it was having an impact and i knew it was going to do well now i think i told you that in 2011 102 projects were successfully funded in the board game category with $2 million. So most people would have thought that, wow, that doesn't seem to be much of a trend. But I could tell early on that it was going to have a huge, huge impact because it has to do with the disruption of an industry that has already had a, an established uh, supply chain, value chain of the way they do things. And here, all this money was flowing in that was going to radically change and modify it. I still believe it. I still think that the biggest changes of the industry haven't happened yet. And I'll tell you what I mean by that is that um, I have told this to a few individuals that I believe that the industry is right for change. That The things that Asmodee has done with gobbling up all the companies is is a trend that is repeated over and over and over in the tech industry. Companies flood the market. you got all these opportunities. Somebody buys up, you consolidate, and then they are incapable of quickly, rapidly transitioning, and so then somebody else comes along. And not that I'm saying Esmo can't uh, rapidly transition, but Kickstarter, the company that figures out how to bypass, not completely, the supply chain the way it currently exists, Is the next generation of board game companies that are going to wield influence. Now you're not going to supplant Wizards of the Coast and D and D or even Asmodee, but you're going to find a new way of doing it, and it's going to have a huge impact. One of the reasons I continue to say that there hasn't been a bubble is because when you see a Kickstarter, when I talk to a, a, a creator now, I ask them how well did your Kickstarter campaign do, and they tell me the amount of money they raised. And I said, no, I don't want to know how much money you raised. I want to know how many backers you had. I had 1,000 backers. Really? 1,000 backers? 1,000 backers over spread over three years would be about 300 games a year, 330 games every year, right? That's a lot of sales. That's a game a day. If you're selling a unit a day of your games, you're doing very well, which means that in a Kickstarter campaign where you have 1,000 backers, boom, that's three years of momentum all at once. Now, it's possible, and I've heard so many people say it. Well, now everybody who wants it's got it. Do you know that's what Max Tempkin told me as I had him on the show for Cards Against Humanity? That when they sold their 4,000th copy of Cards Against Humanity, that he thought every person on the planet had it. Uh, no. You know, they ship out, I, uh, who knows how much they ship out. I think it's probably 25,000 copies a day. But when it was at 4,000, he thought everybody had it. That's why I know there's not a bubble is because I continue to watch Kickstarter projects generate thousands and sometimes tens of thousands of backers. That means every person who backed that project and paid that much money for that game, and if there's 1,000 people, that's 1,000 potential customers for another one, and another one, and another one. Now, there is a finite amount of money that you can tap into. Uh, Howard Taylor, who's been on the show many times, kind of talked about that, that he can't keep going back to the well to draw money out of his fans. But in Kickstarter, you don't necessarily have to do that, because what's happening is that Kickstarter continues to find new fans. And I don't know about you, but the board game space continues to grow as more and more people find it. Now, it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy since my podcast has been running for eight years. Eight years ago, a 16-year-old had little pocket money to be able to spend on a game. But now it's been eight years, and now they're 24, and they're just coming out of college, and they've been playing games with their buddies, and now they have some money to spend, and there's this flood of great games. And right behind them is is a 16-year-old who's coming up again. The, The size of the market is getting to be so big and Kickstarter is giving us access to so many games that it's feeding on itself now and it's getting bigger and bigger and it's starting to pick up. Now, you could argue, "Oh no, the you know, the numbers are down with funding and the success." Well, yes, there's a reason for that, but it doesn't have to do with the lack of demand. And one of the challenges that we have in the industry, particularly in the board game industry, is that your friendly local your friendly little game local game store is a choke point for distribution, just like Blockbuster was for videos. A game store is limited by the uh, geography and the, the preference of th- those people who live in that area, which means if I have a game that doesn't fit into that, John Covey with his science games, doesn't fit into my particular geography, then it's going to be hard for that game store to sell. But that doesn't mean that there's not an interest and a demand in the space for his game. It's just that the sole point of distribution is is not geared towards reaching that audience. Whoever can solve that problem, and it's not about opening more retail stores. It's about figuring out how to make that that algorithm, like on Amazon, talk to people who normally you wouldn't talk to. And that's why Kickstarter has been such a tremendous and successful platform for the board gamers, because it introduces us to new games. Now, I have backed a few Kickstarters recently, uh, because they've been on the show. And <laughs> I was... Not that I made money off the show. I got some Patreon backers, that type of thing. But uh, oftentimes, if I had a guest on the show, I was probably going to back their project. And sometimes, as you know, I did it right on the show. It's because I wanted to give back. I wanted to let them know that I believed in their project. And it's been a lot of of excitement over the years at some of those projects. Some of them have gone on to greatness. Uh, Some of them have not. But all of them have taught me something and hopefully taught you something. Now, there's a ton more I can talk about. I can talk about uh, my episodes, the the process I use. Let me just touch on that a little bit. When it comes to recording, I usually set up an interview. I use Skype to interview. And the reason I use Skype is I pay for a subscription so that I can call you on your phone with my Skype. I'm on a Mac, and Skype call recorder allows me to record that call. I then call, I record it. I do very, very little editing. I add the bumper on the front, the the uh, dice. Now what's interesting on the dice, I took the dice out for a while and the uh, feedback and uproar I got from the fans was amazing. I, I was trying to like up-level it to, to you know not be just board games. And the, and the audience was like, no, put the dice back. So the dice are back. And those dice happened to be rolled on the very table that I'm standing at right now uh, years ago. I just rolled the dice on the table, I put my microphone down next to it and recorded it. But that's what I do. I, I record the show on Skype. It saves it to a .mov file. I then convert that to a WAV file using... Hang on. I got to remember what I use. I use... Oh, the ecam software will export it. The, the software that records it, uh, saves it, and converts it to a WAV file. I then run it through something called Levelator, which just kind of smooths it out. And then I load it up into GarageBand, add the bumper, and throw it up there. Now... That's very little effort. I realized over the years that the podcasting industry was getting a lot better than I was. That I was still kind of just shoestringing it together. Just And my quality wasn't necessarily as good as it could be. And the, the amount of effort and I could make it sound better. And the special of uh, just no, that's not what we do here. We're all about the content. I'd never had a website. Uh, the Buzzsprout, Buzzsprout site was it. I, that I lamented that fact recently, uh, Brian Rosender joined the team and helped me start to launch the Facebook group, which was useful. Uh, I started doing a little bit more promotion and advertisement uh, of the podcast that was useful. And so I was again, I was teaching myself how to do these things. Now, here's the result of that. Eight years ago, I decided to teach myself how to do podcasting and teach myself how to use Kickstarter, not Kickstarter, how to use the social media to promote that Twitter. Facebook, all of those type of things. And then a few years ago, I started learning how to use LinkedIn. I've discovered something. I'm going to share it with you. One of my most popular episodes was my LinkedIn episode that had nothing to do with Kickstarter crowdfunding or board gaming or anything. And that is now what I do as a living is I teach executives how to use LinkedIn to become uh, professional and how to project their voice. And I had Brian, actually it was Brian Hanky, Hank was, was just on the show who said, wow, I didn't think anybody really used LinkedIn that much. The LinkedIn people say that about Facebook. Wow, I didn't think people actually use Facebook that much. And so I'm here to tell you that there are two huge conversations that are going on in these two universes that you guys are unaware of. Let me give you an idea of how this works. I can put out a post. I put out a post on LinkedIn and within an hour or two, I'll have three to 500 views on that post. Within 24 hours, I usually have one to 2,000 views on that post. And if the post is particularly good, I can usually get it up to five to 8,000 views in less than a week. Now think about that. I'm getting about 500 listens to, no, excuse me, 1500 listens on a really good episode when I was putting effort into it in a month to 90 days. And on, on LinkedIn, I can do something similar and within a few hours, I'm getting those type of results. And so that's the difference. LinkedIn is a B2B business conversation. So when I work with my executives, I had an executive put out a post on Tuesday of this week, of last week, and it was just him standing in the booth, working the booth. He's a CEO of a company, a tech company, and he's working the booth. In 24 hours, he received 54,000 views. Now you might say, oh, he's big and he's well-known. No, I started working with him just a couple of years ago and he had no presence. In a short amount of time, he was able to do that with his LinkedIn. So that's what I do now. I spend a significant amount of time working with companies and individuals, teaching them how to leverage this platform of LinkedIn. I would encourage you to do the same. Facebook is where you're able to talk to your fans and your customers and that type of thing. But when it comes to business, and I don't mean selling product, but I mean talking to business people, B2B, your business talking to another business, LinkedIn's where it's at. And it's one of the things I teach. Maybe I'll do a bonus episode and talk to you about some of the secrets that you can do and how your Instagram behavior is killing your LinkedIn performance. LinkedIn's unlike any other social media platform out there. It's the exact opposite of the way most of your social media platforms work. It's the opposite of Facebook, the opposite of Twitter, the opposite of Instagram. The very things that you do to be successful on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter are the very things that kill you on LinkedIn. And that's one of the things I do is I teach people how to be effectively either selling or influencing and becoming an influencer with their platform. And that's what's taken my time and my effort, and my energy and my focus and feeding my family. And so I thought, you know, I have to make a choice of what do I kind of walk away from. And I decided that I had given as much as I could of value to the board game and Kickstarter community, that it's in good hands. You have so much good content out there that I realized that I, while I'll be missing you, and I think you'll miss me because we've had a lot of fun, right? Uh, we've got to know each other over these years and you've listened and you've participated and you've commented and you've gotten back to me and then you have found me and, and it's been so much, it's so great. I've loved it and now it's it's time to say goodbye. You, I'm still on social media you'll still see me. I'll attend a few game conventions I think I'll be at BGGcon for the first time this year but you can pay attention connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to talk to you about how you how you could be more successful there And maybe I'll launch another podcast talking about those very things but until I do, hopefully you've heard something inspiring over the years. Hopefully somebody has, talked to you or shared a piece of information, whether a positive or negative, that's made a difference in your life. Hopefully you take that and give back to the community. I've had the chance to give back and be influenced and touched and inspired. And hopefully so. So have you. I want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for being good fans and take care.